I invite you to join with me in a word of prayer this morning. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we thank and praise you for all such things wonderful and gracious that you have poured out upon us. Help us, Lord, today to continue to grow deeper and more profound and stronger in this faith and to live our lives of love and service to you. And now may these words of this preacher's mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I invite you to have uh, your worship folder with you. Uh, we're basing the message today off of this passage from Romans chapter 3. It's kind of in the bottom of page 2 of the uh, bulletin. I want to focus on right now just on verse 28, where the Apostle Paul says, For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. So as you kind of heard in the children's message a little bit, we are celebrating Reformation weekend, Reformation Sunday tomorrow. 505 years ago tomorrow, a, at that time, a little-known German monk named Martin Luther posted a listing of 95 statements that he thought was worthy of debate and discussion in the church at that time because of problems and difficulties going on. Now that little simple act of posting those 95 statements, 95 theses, uh, sparked what became known as the Reformation. I invite you, after worship today, uh, the elders out in the Welcome Center, they will have a copy of the 95 Theses with a little bit of a historical introduction to them. If you've never read them, I invite you to go ahead and pick it up and read. It'll take a little bit. Some of it's a little bit tough to read through because it's so historically uh, contextual. Uh, but there will be some things in there that perhaps will surprise you. As, for example, I'll just share uh, a couple of them right now. Uh, the very first thesis, number one, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Repentance isn't just a perfunctory thing you do. It's an act of how we live our faith and life. And thesis number 86, why does not the Pope, whose wealth is today greater than the wealth of the richest Crassus, some of the very rich folk of the day, why does not the Pope build this one basilica of St. Peter with his own money rather than with the money of poor believers? And as you might imagine, that was really one of the things that got him into hot water because he was touching on the nerve of a financial stream for the church of his day. Now, there's a little bit of a caution to this Reformation celebration, Reformation observance. I mean, why are we doing this? On the one hand, it's 505 years ago that this happened. You might remember five years ago, okay, it was a big deal. It was 500th anniversary. Well, I, I'm always intrigued by knowing history. I passionately believe that a people who do not know their history are more likely prone to repeat that history. And so there's a great wealth of knowing our history. By the way, a little trivia question. Did you know 
if we were to you know, look at all of the books in the world that have ever been written, in terms of subject matter, the number one person about whom more books have been written than no one else is, of course, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Number two on that list, way down the list, but way ahead of number three on the list, is Martin Luther. Little trivia question for you. He has had that much of an influence. But now, that's going to almost sound contradictory, what I'm going to say next. I don't want you to think about this, though, as well, we're worshiping our history or we're worshiping our heritage as Lutherans. I often believe that the words of John the Baptist to the people of his day recorded in Luke chapter 3, where the people of his day were kind of resistant and going, well, why do we have to worry about this repentance stuff? We're, we're descendants of Abraham. Abraham's our father. <laughs> There's little difference of them saying that and we getting all smug and going, well, we are Lutherans. You remember Martin Luther? Remember the Reformation? In the final analysis, it's not our heritage that saves us. It's not our history. No matter how great it is and how much we should learn from it, it's only Jesus that saves. Which, by the way, was also at the heart of what Luther said. If you read the Cyber Saints, the kind of the weekly a little devotional we send out every week, with sometimes a little bit of a, a teaser about what the message was going to be about, I kind of shared in there that uh, we're going to talk some Latin with you. So, to not disappoint those who are looking forward to some Latin this morning. By the way, who did take Latin in high school? Don't be afraid to identify yourself. Okay, a few of you guys, that's good. I had it in college, so I can't say I took it in high school, but I did have it in college. All right, I want you to write this down. The, the back cover of the announcement, there's some space there to write some things down. There's two Latin phrases that I want you to write down. The first one is only three words. It's lex semper Accusat. Lex, L-E-X, Semper, S-E-M-P-E-R, and Accusat, A-C-C-U-S-A-T. The second phrase is shorter. It's only two words. And this is not talking about an added appendage to your face. But the phrase is extra nos. Extra, just like it sounds, and nos is N-O-S, no E at the end. There's a third phrase we'll get to, but it's in English, so you don't have to worry about that one quite yet. The first phrase that Lex Semper accuset is Latin for the law always accuses. That is the statement that God gives about what we are to do, what we are not to do. Of course, summarized beautifully within the Ten Commandments, but it expands in so many different ways from there. In the final analysis, the law is always going to accuse us, point the finger at us, poke us in the chest, nag at us, strip away our conscience and go, you 
are a sinner. You have failed. The Apostle Paul reveals this here in Romans 3. If you turn with me there, verse 23, where he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice what it says. All. Not some, not most, not a few. All. A favorite illustration I read many years ago that I love that kind of helps explain this is imagine three people. All right, three people. One of them is you. A second person is me. And the third person is whoever it is, I don't know the guy's name, whoever is the Olympic gold medalist, Olympic uh, record holder for long jump, for the distance of long jump. And you put the three of us at the edge of the Grand Canyon, at its widest spot, and you give us the command, I don't care how long you run, I don't, take, I don't care what kind of preparation you do, but go ahead and jump across the Grand Canyon. Now, I'll admit, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not that athletic anymore, I never really was, but I'm even less than I used to be. A week ago, we were on vacation up on Mackinac Island, and you know, I, I biked around the eight miles of Mackinac Island in my age. I did it in 54 minutes. My 16-year-old son had challenged me to do that, and I was kind of saying, well, I did it in my age. Why couldn't you do it in your age? You're younger than I am, but that's a story for another time. Anyway, I'm not going to make it across. I'm not so sure you are either. No offense, you might be more better in shape than I am. But even the Olympic gold medalist, he's not going to make it either. Why? It's just too far. You see, each and every one of us has fallen short of God's glory. None of us can lay claim of what Jesus had commanded in Matthew 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We've all failed. And so the command of God, do this, don't do that, even though we struggle and we try and we do our best, we still fall short. That's why Paul says here in verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law is always gonna point out the fact. Bill, you have failed. But there is a beautiful phrase that's used twice in this reading. Two simple words that help us rejoice. Verse 28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That gets us to that second Latin phrase, extra Nos, 
okay? I've said easily, said clearly, it's not an E, nose, nos, uh, meaning it's the first person plural pronoun in the uh, accusative case, um, us. Extra in Latin doesn't mean like in addition to, but means really outside of. So the phrase is outside of us. That is, our salvation is dependent on someone outside of us. Our salvation isn't that God has said, okay, I've given you Jesus, I've given you a head start, now finish up and do it right. No, our salvation is entirely outside of us, based upon Jesus Christ. And that is a powerful thing because it's not dependent upon me. It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon Jesus. The Apostle Paul in, um, here in Romans 3, follow along with me and see how Paul puts this out. Starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. A gift. He doesn't say you are justified by making sure your life is in order with God. He doesn't say you are saved because you have turned out to be such a warm, loving person. No, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's outside of us. The Apostle Paul doubles down on this later when he writes to the Philippians in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. It's from outside of my control. It's from outside of my influence. It's dependent zero percent upon Bill Miller. It's dependent entirely upon Jesus. Which gets us to the third phrase. And I pray is the beginning of each of us kind of going, well, this is why it's important. Here's the phrase. I told you it was in English. <clears throat> The law is never, or the law will never lie, but the gospel is always right. The law, going back to 
all the things that God has told us, do this, don't do that, it's never gonna lie to us. There isn't a problem with the law of God. The problem's with us. The law will always point out our sin. But the gospel is always right. It is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. It is the fact of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that will always give us hope and life. Therefore, it's the gospel that always must dominate. Now let me give you two practical applications about this and, and why this is important. Earlier today, uh, Pastor Alex, he talked about, you can pick up in the narthex there, the stewardship letter, right? If you've been around a while, you know that every fall we have a stewardship emphasis and campaign about using our time, talents, and treasures for service to God and his kingdom. And I've often thought there's always such a huge temptation to kind of go off the rails at this time of the year. Because we can be so great at talking about grace and forgiveness and God's love for us in Christ Jesus. But then we get to stewardship and we kind of put the heavy on. You know, the church is going to fall apart without you. We need everybody to step up. You know, you've been blessed wonderfully and marvelously. Now show it. And that might work for a while. But remember, what does the law always do? In the final analysis, it's going to peck, it's going to bug, it's going to pester you and remind you, you have failed. Instead, think about the gospel motivating us. Think about an entirely different way of responding to participation in the, the overall ministry of suburban Bethlehem. It's not because there's a bottom line we got to maintain. It's because we have a God, the one true God, who is head over heels in love with us. A God who has given us his very own son, Jesus Christ. A God who says, everything is yours as a gift. Rejoice, celebrate, be glad. And we get to go, I get to be part of that. Do you notice the difference? Or a second illustration is, think of a person on their deathbed. Whether it be you on your deathbed someday or someone you know and love. <clears throat> Imagine for a moment two different messages that could be given to a person on their deathbed. Message number one. You have been a faithful Christian. You have given the witness and, a, and, and you have exemplified what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. 
You have volunteered. You have given richly from the blessings God has given you. Now those are wonderful things to say. They may very well be very true. But again, remember the poking and pestering of the law. There can be that moment when you think, well, you know, I went through a spell there where I really hated going to church and I tried to avoid going to church as much as I could. Or, you know, we had a difficult spot in our marriage and, yeah, for a while I kind of wondered, what would it be like to be married to somebody else? Or, you know, I haven't always had the purest of motives of trying to encourage other people. I've kind of wanted people to kind of look at me and think how great I am. And all those wonderful things that were said about you how faithful you were, how loving you were, how much you gave. In the final analysis, I haven't done it perfectly. There's been spots where I've failed. Compare that to another message given to someone on their deathbed. Yes, indeed, you are a sinner. But Jesus Christ has died for every single one of your sins. Jesus Christ has given himself for you. And he has risen from the dead to prove it, that he has forgiven and paid the price for your sin. And because he lives, you will live also in this very body that one day is going to die. It will one day be raised again because Jesus Christ has purchased and won us from all sin, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. Now that is a statement of fact that cannot change. That is a statement of comfort. Because where you and I, where we may have tried, we have made to try to make the best efforts of things, we have failed. But Jesus Christ, his blood doesn't fail. His righteousness, his love and grace never fails. This is why this matters. Because it is in the message of Jesus Christ that we have the very basis and essence of all that we are and all that we do. And that message needs to dominate in everything. Because that gives life. A message of try harder is good, but it won't give eternal comfort. A message of anything other than Jesus Christ might have elements of truth, but it won't encourage and change the heart. That's why Luther, in thesis number 62, 
says, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. May we always treasure that as well. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. And now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, amen.